coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast, brought to you, of course, by our great friends at Alumni Hall. The summer is here, guys, officially. It's like 90 degrees all week here in the state of Georgia. So I know that you need all that latest Georgia summer gear, whether it's polos, t-shirts, tanks, whatever you're looking for. Alumni Hall is going to have you covered because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldog shop. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler. And today on the show, we're going football recruiting heavy one last time this offseason before it is full speed ahead with previewing the 2023 college football season. We are right there, guys. I have been almost bursting at the seams, trying to keep myself from diving too deep too early into the 2023 season, really for the past month or two. Like, I've been ready to go, man. It's really all I ever think about at any given time of the year, but this time of year... It really is, man. It really is the only thing that is on my mind. I mean, I've been deep, guys. I've been deep into offseason film study really for like the past three months. I get started on that right after the NCAA basketball tournament ends. Like, you know, from January through the beginning of April, I'm all in on college basketball. I love college basketball. So I dive into that. But as soon as that, that final game is over, that Monday night, I'm all in on college football from the first week of April all the way through January, the national championship game. And at this point, man, I've lost count. I have totally lost count of how many games that I have gone back and rewatched the tape that I brought that I've broken down. I mean, guys, I watch film during lunch every day. I watch it every night when my wife goes to bed. Saturday nights are when I save the best games. So uh, yeah, I uh, needless to say, I, I have been deep into that film study. So yes, I am locked. I am loaded, and I am ready to go there. But recruiting has taken center stage during the month of June. And I know that there's a lot of interest in this number one recruiting class that we are in the process of building among all of you out there, among our listener base. So I've tried my best. I try to give you guys what you want. I've had a lot of questions. Really, I've had more recruiting questions this month than I had anything. Certainly, we've had some questions kind of looking forward to next season, but I've had far more recruiting questions than I have those types of questions. So I've been trying to focus on recruiting. I'm trying to focus on all the happenings on the recruiting front as much as I can the past few weeks. And I really enjoy doing that because that's not something that we get a chance to do once the season hits. Like we, once we're in the season mode, like it's all football talk. It's all on the field football talk. There's no recruiting talk during the season. So this is when we can get to all that stuff and answer all your questions and dive into to all things recruiting. And I've had a good time doing it, but I'm going to be honest with you guys, this is it. This is it for a while. Now, if we have a big commitment, which we're going to get a couple of them in, in the month of July, July is going to be a huge month for us, guys. We'll certainly talk about on the show, but we're not going to do like full-on recruiting-heavy shows like we have really for the past two or three weeks now. We've just got far, far too much to talk about in terms of like previewing the 2023 season. I've got the agenda laid out, got the calendar laid out all the way through August at this point. And uh, man, I had to cut some things out that I want to get in because we just don't have time for it. And we're going to go to three episodes a week starting in July. So even doing that, more content out there for you guys, I still don't have time to fit in everything that I want to fit in. So this is it for recruiting is we're just not going to have time to kind of fit in. We're going to start our Scouting the Enemy series next week, guys. A lot of questions about that. Our first episode, which is going to be South Carolina, is going to be coming to you guys early next week. So get ready for that. Get geared up, man, because we are about to get rolling. 
And we ain't looking back, guys. It's full steam ahead. And Curtis is going to be back on here with me next month as well. I want to get him on here this week, but this is it's, it's on me this time. I'm actually going out of town on a little mini vacation of sorts here over the next couple of days. So I'm having to sit here and record all these episodes here one night on Monday night so that I can have them ready for you guys the rest of the week. And Curtis just wasn't available tonight. That's why he's not on here. But the plan is... We're going to get him back on here next week. So you have that to look forward to as well. But all right, guys, let's get into things here. So in case you don't know, this past weekend was the last official visit weekend before the NCAA mandated dead period that begins this week. It begins tomorrow, actually, the 27th of June, and it carries all the way into the late parts of July. I think July 24th is the date the dead period officially ends. And if you guys aren't like completely sure what the dead period entails like what does that mean a dead period what are you talking about dead period is NCAA jargon for a period of time where coaches cannot have any face-to-face contact with a player whether that's on campus or off campus now it's a little bit of a misnomer because it's not completely dead they can still call players they can still text players they can still facetime players all of that kind of thing they just can't have in-person face-to-face contact so it's not as though communication is entirely shut down it's just not as intense as these contact periods are that we've been going through this past month of june Nobody will be here on campus. There's no official visitors. There's no unofficial visitors. Nobody can come to campus. That's part of the dead period. So that's going to be kicking the gear tomorrow. So with that in mind, I thought it'd be worthwhile right now to hit the pause button and recap this past month, recap this month of June and update you on where things stand right now, exiting the busiest recruiting month on the calendar. So we're going to do that. But after that, I also want to dive back into some of the biggest what-ifs in Georgia football history. We did that last week. It's the first time we've ever done that on this show. We don't usually do that kind of thing on this podcast. The summer kind of lends itself to being able to do some of those things. And we got a great response. We really do get a great response from all you guys. And uh, I've got plenty more that I did not get a chance to get to last week. Plenty more what-ifs. So seems like you guys enjoyed it based on the feedback I've gotten. I enjoyed doing it. So why not? Let's roll with that again. We'll do that the second half of the show. But the way I want to go about this recruiting update is kind of just to go down the list position by position, just kind of updating you with where we currently stand at each position. Like who do we have on the commit list at that position coming out of June? Who are we still recruiting at that position? What are our chances of landing those top remaining targets at those positions? I think that's the easiest way to go about this. I toyed around with a couple of different ideas, different concepts, but I kind of settled on this because I think it's the most well-organized. I'm the the kind of person that likes things to be in a nice, clean, organized package, and I think this accomplishes that. So let's go ahead and dive in. Let's start the quarterback position, get that out of the way, because we're done there, right? You all know by now, it's Dylan Riola and Ryan Pugliese. Both guys took part in the Elite 11 camp a couple of weekends ago. We spent the first half of the last episode talking about Dylan Riola and his transfer to Buford High School here in Georgia. So all of you know, as we talked about last week, he is not only the number one quarterback in the country, he is also the number one overall prospect in the country. And he finished as the runner-up at the Elite 11 camp a couple of weeks ago. So obviously highly recruited, highly talented, and we're all extraordinarily excited about him. But don't forget about Ryan Pluglisi. Does he have the profile? Does he have the reputation of Dylan Riola? No, he doesn't. But he's a hell of a quarterback in his own right. 6'3", 205. 
He's moved all the way up to number 139 Nash in the 247 composite. Has a great arm, really good arm talent. He plays with Moxie. I love the way that he carries himself, even off the field, like doing interviews. And of course, he's always asked about like, hey, you know, Dylan Riley committed to Georgia. Does that change things for you? And he he is steadfast, has always been steadfast in his commitment and his confidence in himself. Said, no, I'm going to come in here and compete. I know what I'm stepping into. I know this is the University of Georgia. And I'm gonna have to compete to win the job, and I'm I'm all, I'm down. I'm all about it. So I really, really am also excited about this guy. I'm really glad that we have two. We needed two guys, as we talked about last week, and I'm glad that these are the two guys. I think we have two really talented guys, two dudes that are made the right way, built the right way, and I think we're gonna have one hell of a battle here in the next year or two at that quarterback position. So we are set. We are good to go there. We are almost set at running back. So we know a couple of weeks ago, what was it, mid-June, we flipped a big-time running back from Florida, Chauncey Bowens, definitively not Chauncey Billups, former Detroit Pistons championship point guard and current Portland Trailblazers head coach Chauncey Billups, but Chauncey Bowens. And Bowens, guys, like, I love this dude. I'm really, really out on him. He's got the, like, tree trunk lower half, which for a running back, I think that's really important because guys bounce off that. It really helps you run with power. It helps you grind out those extra yards. And, and I mentioned when, when he flipped from Florida a couple weeks ago, his running style, the way he looks when he runs, reminds me a lot of like Maurice Jones-Drew. He's bigger than Maurice Jones-Drew. He's pushing six foot. He's like 220 pounds. Jones-Drew is what, like 5'8", something like that. So he's, he's obviously bigger than him, but the lower half kind of seems sawed off at times when you watch him run. And just the way he runs with those short, quick steps... It reminds me a lot of watching Maurice Jones-Drew. He's, he's got great quickness of that size, great power, really good vision. Love the short area quickness, which I think is really, really important in running backs. Outstanding acceleration, which is also another quality that I really put a, a lot of emphasis on when I'm trying to evaluate running backs. So I'm extremely excited to get him. Uh, he's a four-star guy, number 141 nationally. So that was a huge shot in the arm to our running back room in this 2024 recruiting class. But he joined Dwight Phillips Jr., who has been a long-time Georgia commit. And this dude is a very different kind of back from Bowens. He is a speed demon extraordinaire. Now, as often comes along with these faster guys that run that position, he's not as big as Bowens. He's 5'11", so about the same height, but he's only 170 pounds. But man, the speed is absolutely scary. This guy is scary fast. So to kind of put this in perspective for you guys, he's a 10-3-5 meter guy. So in May, he ran a 10-3-5 at McEachin High School. So he goes to Pebble Brook, Cobb County kid, goes to McEachin, runs a 10-3-5 meter. To give you guys comparison there, Arian Smith, right? We all think Arian Smith is probably the fastest player in college football, certainly up there, one of them, if not the fastest. You know what he ran in May of his senior year of high school? He ran a 10-300 meter. So yeah, slightly faster than Dwight Phillips Jr., but not by all that much. And that was in his senior year. Phillips is only a rising senior right now. So he ran that 10-3-5 at the tail end of his junior year of high school. So he is speed personified, and he gets he's going to bring a very different element to the running back position that, honestly, we have not had in quite a while. So we were in really good shape. If we just stopped there and said, look, you know, we love these two guys. We love Phillips. We love Bowens. And these are our guys in this position, and we want to hold some of the other spots for other positions where maybe we have a greater need. If we just stopped there we would be in outstanding shape. It might be the best recruiting class at the running back position that we've had in in the past couple of years if we just stopped right there. But guys, we're not going to stop right there because there's a dude out in California by the name of Nathaniel Frazier. I believe we've talked about him over the past couple of weeks. 
He plays at Matter Day High School, the storied high school program out there, high school football program in California. And this guy is different, man. He's different. I love Bowens. I love Dwight Phillips Jr. Both those guys are awesome. I think both those guys are going to be really good playmakers for us. In fact, I think that either one of them could potentially be feature backs. Now, I would say that Dwight Phillips Jr. might probably be using a little bit of a different role. Bowens absolutely can be a feature back, and that might be in his future at Georgia. But Nate Frazier's different, man. I think he is better. If you're asking me, my personal opinion, this is Tyler giving you his opinion. That's what we do on these podcasts, right? I believe that Nate Frazier is better than both Chauncey Bowens and Dwight Phillips Jr. And that's saying something because both those guys are awesome. But when I watch Nate Frazier on tape, I see the absolute total package. He's very similar in size to Bowens, 5'11", 210, so a little bit lighter, but nothing dramatic. But he runs hard, man. For a guy that's 5'11", 210, the power that he runs with is incredible to watch. He has elite short area quickness. He has that burst that you simply cannot teach. You either have it or you don't. He's got outstanding vision at this point in his career. And on top of all that, just to add a cherry on top, he's got that home run speed. He doesn't have Dwight Phillips Jr. level speed, but he's got home run speed. I was trying to think about this the other day. I was like, okay, Nate Frazier, if we end up playing this guy, he'd be the best running back that we've recruited since. And I don't know. I didn't have an answer right away. I think he's he's better than Kendall Milton. I think he's better than Kenny McIntosh. I think that he's better than Dejan Edwards, yes. I really like Andrew Paul. I would take Frazier over Andrew Paul. Branson Robinson, that's the one where I pause because I'm really, really high on Branson. And Branson, and he's certainly built differently. But man, in terms of just playing that position, I might take Nate Frazier. I might. So I guess we're going back all the way to maybe DeAndre Swift, the best running back that we would have landed out of high school since DeAndre Swift back in 2017. I think that's the guy that I would go with. So needless to say, I am very, very high on Nate Frazier. The question becomes, are we going to land this guy? Like, what are our chances? Well, I would just take you back to what, like five minutes or so ago when I told you guys the month of July is going to be a very, very good month for the Georgia Bulldogs on the recruiting front. Uh, Let me just say, I I have strong reason to believe that Nate Frazier might be part of that reason why July is going to be such a strong month for Georgia football recruiting. I can't tell you exactly when. I can't tell you exactly what day. I don't have the information. I just have it on very good authority that he's very likely to end his recruiting process sooner rather than later. And if he does, guys, when he does, that is going to be cause for celebration. Because that will mean that we have just landed the best running back that we have landed since DeAndre Swift in 2017, in my humble opinion. To go along with what is already a very, very strong running back recruiting class. So we are in fantastic shape in the running back room. But you know, with running backs, you got to have somebody to run behind. you got to have somebody clearing the way for you. you got to have those big uglies up front, right? And this is a position where there are still some unanswered questions. I think things are starting to round into shape and become a little bit more clear at that position. But let's go ahead and start with who we have currently committed at that position. Right now, we've got a guy named Malachi Tolliver out of Cartersville, who's 6'5 and a half, 315. He's a three-star prospect, so he's not one of those highly rated guys that kind of catches your attention. But guys, just let me put this out there in the offensive line right now, especially offensive tackle. In this cycle, it is a position that is down nationally, not just in the state of Georgia, but around the country. You just don't see the high-level offensive tackle prospects 
that you typically see in a given recruiting class. This year, it's just a position that's way, way, way down nationally. I think there's actually only like two tackles that are inside the top 50 nationally, which is very rare because that's a premium position. And that usually lends itself to seeing offensive tackles rated higher in these class rankings. So when you only have two guys in the top 50, only one of those guys is a five-star, that tells you that the position is down nationally. So just keep that in mind when you're trying to determine how you feel about our offensive line recruiting this cycle. So Malachi Tolliver, three-star guy. Um, I know you guys are going to be super excited about him. because He is a three-star. He's actually not even rated on 247, but he's got the frame. There's not a ton of film out there on him, so I, I don't have a super strong opinion on him. I like to make these. I like to watch the tape and make my own opinions. I don't like to like just take what somebody tells me as gospel truth because that's their opinion. That's their take. I don't like that secondhand information. It's not completely worthless, but... I do like to make up my own mind and watch those things for myself. So I don't have a strong opinion on Tolliver there. I I've, I like his frame. I can tell you that, right? And our coaches like him enough. He came into, into Athens, worked out for the coaches. They liked him. They offered him. They took his commitment. And if, if it was good enough for the coaches right now, it's good enough for me because our coaches are hitting at an extraordinarily high rate when it comes to offering these these three-star prospects, these guys that are kind of under-recruited when they actually come to Athens, come to campus and work out in front of the coaches. We're hitting at, hitting at a very, very high rate with those guys. So I'm going to trust the coaches until they give me reason not to. And right now I have no reason to not trust them. And then we also have a guy named Marcus Harrison out of New York. Number 622 nationally, three-star prospect. So another guy that doesn't really jump out of the page at you, but he is a massive human being. Six, seven and a half, pushing six, eight, 335 pounds. Guys, I'm telling you right now, we are making a concerted effort to recruit bigger dudes along the offensive line. That is certainly the trend with what we're seeing here. And what I've been told behind the scenes that that is something that Kirby Smart and Stacey Searles are putting an emphasis on in this class. They are trying to get bigger so we can move people at the line of scrimmage. Marcus Harrison certainly fits that. Malachi Tolliver to a little bit of a lesser degree, but both those guys kind of fit that bill. So that's what we know right now at the offensive line position. But who are going to fill out the remaining spots? That's the question here. And I think it it honestly depends on how many that we take. So we've got two right now. I think we're almost certainly going to take at least five. And depending on who it is, if it's the right guy, maybe we'll take six. But I feel confident saying that we're going to take at least five, which means we need to find three more guys to round out this offensive line recruiting class. And the, the three guys that I'm going to look at closest here, number one, Nair Daniels, who, again, let's kind of go back to what I said with, with Nate Frazier. We're going to have a really great month of July in recruiting. Nair Daniels might very well be a part of that. And talk about massive human beings. This dude, also from up north, not New York, he's out of New Jersey, 6'8", 350 pounds. 6'8", 350 pounds. Do you get the idea? See what I'm talking about? We're going bigger on the offensive line. He is not currently on the commit list, but things certainly seem to be trending in that direction. I think we had, what, six different crystal ball predictions on 247 Sports come in for him to commit to Georgia within the past week, including Steve Wiltfong, who is the director of football recruiting for 247 Sports. And when he puts in a commitment or a prediction, I should say, for a guy to commit to a school. I can't sit here and tell you that it's 100% gospel truth and always happens, but more often than not, it usually does. And on top of that, the people that I know around the building, around Butts Mirror, 
they also feel very, very confident that he is going to end up being a bulldog. And again, kind of like Frazier, sooner rather than later. So all signs are pointing to this guy being on the commit list here within the next month or so. So I feel really confident there. He kind of fits the bill of what we're looking for at that position. The next guy to look at is a dude named Daniel Calhoun. He is a Georgia prospect. He goes to Walton High School. Yet again, another big human being on the offensive line. 6'6", 330 pounds. I do feel like he is certainly more of a tackle than maybe a guy like Harrison is. Like, hey, Harrison can be a right tackle, he can't be a left tackle. I think that Calhoun potentially has the ability to play left tackle down the road. I, again, I also don't think that Nair Daniels can play left tackle right now. I need to see that. I need to see more from him before I can b- buy into that. But Calhoun's a guy that I feel confident saying right now, based on what I've seen from him, that he can play offensive tackle. Now, he is a guy that is rated a little higher than some of these other guys. Like He's not a three-star guy. He's not a dude that's you know unranked like Tolliver is. He's a guy that is a four-star prospect. He's moved all the way up to a top 100 prospect nationally, number 96 overall. He's number six tackle in the country. So again, when I told you guys that this is a year, a cycle, where offensive tackles nationally, it's just down. He's one of the more highly sought-after prospects in the country that position. I hate giving you guys percentages, and I really hate making predictions on this show because, you know, things change in recruiting, man. Like, what might be true one second when I tell tell you it's true might not be true two hours later. That's just how recruiting works when you're, when you're talking about 17, 18-year-old kids. But I, I want to come on here and at least give you the information that I have right now to give you, and based off what I am being told, we are at the very least in the top two for Daniel Calhoun. We have been the biggest constant in his recruitment throughout the entire process, but really it's down to a two-horse race. It's us and it's Texas. He made his official visit to Athens back on June 2nd, the first weekend of official visits during this contact period, or at least in the month of June. And then he made his most recent official visit this past weekend to Texas. So Texas got that that last official visit before the dead period, which you know that oftentimes can carry some weight because they get the last word. They get the last chance to showcase everything they have to offer. And that's what's most fresh on your mind. You, you've seen it most recently. So that does give me a little bit of concern there. And Texas is certainly a player. I can't sit here and tell you that we are 100% going to land this guy. And that's why I hate to give you percentages because like, what does it even mean? If I told you 70%, like, what does that even mean? That's just me throwing out a random number. But I know you guys like that. I get that question. I'm like, hey, what percentage chance do you give us to land this guy? So I know there's some interest in that. So, you know, you guys are, are why we're here. want to give you guys what you want. So I can throw out a number here. I'll, I'll, I'll go 60% right now. I feel like we lead. I don't feel like it's an overwhelming lead based off what I've heard. I know Texas, again, is a very serious player here. But I would give us the edge right now. And he's a guy that I do think will probably end the process before the fall starts, maybe even July. Might get into August, but I think July might be a a month where you see him make his decision. The other guy that I don't really know what to think about here is a guy named Marquise Eastley. He's a really good player, man. So he's out of Illinois. He's a four-star guy. He's number 260 nationally. He he's a guy that also think can play tackle. He's listed as a tackle. I think he's got a shot to play left tackle. Another big guy, six five and a half, three thirty five. What I've seen on tape, there's not a lot of tape out there. It's hard to really evaluate these offensive linemen guys. I've told you that before. I think it's the most difficult position to evaluate because they're just so much bigger, stronger, and dominant than the guys they're going against that they just don't even really have to even use technique. They just just physically dominate people. And that's to be expected because they're going against smaller dudes. Like it's just hard. It's a tough position to to really evaluate. But I've seen enough from him to think that he can potentially play left tackle for us. So he's a guy that's certainly high on our on our board, and we are recruiting him heavily. And I'm being told by people that I trust that we are very much a player in this in this recruitment, and that they actually have a 
pretty decent level of confidence that we're ultimately end up landing him. But that's just weird to me because this guy himself tweeted out a top three last week of Alabama, Oklahoma, and, te- and Tennessee. Now, he would not be the first. He certainly would not be the last recruit to play games with fans out there and just have fun with the process and just kind of troll people. Certainly the case. But I just it's rare that you see a guy put out a, a top three or a top five and a certain school is not on the list, but then he ultimately ends up choosing that school. Now, these guys can change their mind. They're not beholden to any top three they put out there. Just because some, just some guy made an edit for them and they put it out there on social media it doesn't mean that's like who they're beholden to choose between. They don't have to just limit their choices to those three schools, those five schools, whatever, but usually they do, right? I mean, that more often than not, like the vast majority of the time they do. And we, according to the graphic he put out, the edit he put out on his social media account, we were not in his final top three. But that conflicts with the information I'm getting from people behind the scenes who would know these things. So I really do not know what to believe there. I know that For a long time, he was very interested and he was very receptive to our recruitment of him. And we were certainly making a move there for a while. But then kind of out of the blue, he dropped last week, he dropped this top three that we weren't in. That's I'm like, huh? Scratching my head because I'm like, that's not what I've been told by people that I really, really trust about these things. And so I I don't know. I just don't know what to think there. I, I think we still have a shot based on what I'm being told. But then again, he didn't include us in his top three. So I don't know. Just take that for what it what it's worth, guys. Make up your own mind on that. I don't know. We'll find out here probably in the next couple of months, one way or the other. But we'll at least keep him on the on the list of guys that we are actively recruiting that we at least have somewhat of a shot for based off what what I'm being told. Now another guy to watch here. So if it's not Easley, because I think we have three spots, right? I think Nair Daniels, Daniel Calhoun, I feel pretty good about those guys. So I think we have at least one more spot. If it's not Eastley, it could be him. I just, I don't know what to think there. But if it's not him, the guy to watch out for is a dude by the name of Michael Uini. And I'm probably butchering that last name. I've not heard anybody pronounce it. Uh, I've just seen it in text and I've seen it on, on 247, on 3, whatever. But it's U-I-N-I. I'm going to go with Uini on that. I don't know. Uh, somebody correct me if they know better. I'm sure it's wrong. I'm an idiot. But this is a guy that we are trending heavily for right now. He visited us this past weekend for the last official visit weekend before the dead period. And all the returns that I'm getting coming out of that visit are glowing about how he felt about the visit and how we feel about where we stand with that guy right now. But here's the thing, guys. I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that we won't have to wait very long to find out whether all that's true. Because today he set his commitment date for June 30th, aka the end of this week, this Friday. And oftentimes, when guys come off of a visit, an official visit like this, and they go ahead and announce a commitment date in the very near future, that's oftentimes a very strong sign that he liked what he just saw on the visit that he just took, and that he's now made up his mind. Now, the flip side of this, sometimes it happens this way too, where the guy takes a visit, the last visit, and he comes off that visit and says, okay, I'm ready to make up my mind. And it's because he didn't like what he saw. Like he maybe already had his mind up that he wanted to go somewhere else. He was leaning somewhere else, but he wanted to take this one last official visit to this other school. And when he took that visit, he just wasn't feeling it. And it kind of confirmed to him the feelings he already had coming into the visit. That happens sometimes too, but that's more rare than the the other alternative where the guy is just blown away, blown away by that last official visit, is feeling that high, wants to commit, love what he saw, he's all about it, and he's like, I'm just ready to end my process right now. 
I honestly haven't heard a ton on him from people that I know, um, but the little bit I have gotten is that they feel very confident and feel like we are certainly a very strong contender in his recruitment. But again, like we'll find out. We'll find out in the next week or so. I'm going to try to dig into that and try to find out a little bit more over the next couple of days. And if I find something out, I'll, I'll let you guys know. But um, based off what I've heard right now, like we have reason for optimism, and uh, we'll find out. Find out very shortly. And that leaves us with our receivers and tight ends. Receivers, guys, that's the position I get more questions about than any other position, at least over the past couple of weeks, because we are in it for some big-time five-star guys, and we just have had some issues closing those five-star guys over the past couple of years. And so naturally, a lot of fans out there, a lot of you guys listening are curious, is this going to be the year where we in that drought? Are we going to land a five-star guy? I've been pretty consistent telling you I think we have a shot, but it's certainly not a guarantee. Uh, Jeremiah Smith, uh, I told you when I did my top five most wanted recruits a couple weeks ago, he was the top, or he was number two on my list behind Justin Scott, defensive lineman. Um, but I don't, I don't feel very strongly about our chances to land him. I, I think we have a shot. I think it's a, a pipe dream, though. Honestly, at this point, I think the further things get along in the process, the the further things trend away from us, and we're just not as much a player in that commitment. He's and he's been committed to Ohio State for a long time. Like, it's not like he's an uncommitted guy. He's committed. We were just trying to flip him, and it just doesn't look like. That's going to ultimately end up happening. Ryan Wingo is still the guy that I feel like we had the best shot at. Mike Matthews. I mean, we have a puncher's chance there. The receiver at a part of you I love, but I think he's probably Tennessee bound based on what I'm hearing right now. That's that's the idea. But um, Ringo is the guy I think we have the best shot at, I, but I still don't think we have a great shot at him. I, I still think we have probably a less than 50% sh- shot to land Ryan Wingo, who's the guy I think we have the best shot to land of those five-star guys. So we might very well just be content and end up taking the three guys that are currently on our commit list, which uh, I know we detailed this, I think maybe last week, but Nitro Tuggle, who I am absolutely in love with. I think this guy's a five-star caliber receiver. Uh, I think he's as good as Wingo and maybe Matthews. Matthews, is he's really, really good. Uh, Jeremiah Smith might be a, a different level type guy, but Tuggle is awesome, guys. I mean, he's moved up the rank. He's all the way up to a, to a four-star prospect when he was a, a lowly three-star that nobody was paying attention to when he first committed. And I told you guys back a couple months ago, like, this dude is legit. Don't worry about the rankings. Watch the tape. Make your own mind up. When you, most of you guys did that, you hit me back up and said, oh yeah, dude, I, I see what you're talking about. Yeah, he is awesome. So I think he's an, a, a true alpha number one type wide receiver. And you've got Nye Carr, who I think is vastly, vastly underrated out of Colquitt County. I'm very excited about him. I mean, he's a little bit of a different guy than Tuggle. I think he probably fits more in the slot. He has the potential to play outside as well, but a really crisp route runner, really good speed as well, strong hands, solid size. Uh, Sokovi White's the other guy that's on the commit list right now out of Cass. And he's another four-star guy. I'm not as high on him as I am Carr and, and Tuggle, but he's a really good player. It's all relative, right? Uh, but he's more of a true slot receiver than anything else. But if we just stop right there with those two receivers, it's it's a good class. Not an elite class, but a good class. If we can land one of those five stars, then it potentially becomes an elite class and the best receiver class that we've had in, in recent memory. But that remains to be seen. We'll find out here probably over the next couple of months at tight end. We've currently got two guys committed. Jaden Riddell, who is a top 50 prospect nationally. Love this guy. Absolutely love him. He's out of Missouri, number 45 nationally, the number two tight in the country. So if you guys have been following this throughout the entire cycle, which I know a lot of you have, once upon a time, we had the number one tight in the country, 
a guy by the name of Landon Thomas on our commit list. He's like uh, like Nykar. He's a Colquitt County prospect, but he decommitted a couple months ago and he committed to Florida State. You know, South Georgia, Tallahassee, very, very close in proximity. There has been a, a history, not necessarily a recent history, but you know, over the past couple of decades, there's been a history of some of these guys from South Georgia making their way to Florida State. It happens. And with the way that our tight end room is absolutely loaded right now, I can understand why the number one tight end in the country might want to look around, just ask himself, huh, am I going to be featured at Georgia when there's already so many guys in that room ahead of me that are also elite players? So he ends up, he goes to Florida State. But you literally cannot compensate for losing Landon Thomas better than we did. We went out and landed the number two tight end in the country. I actually think might long-term end up being a better college player. Now, he's not the same type of college player. Landon Thomas is like a receiver, basically. I mean, he's one of those, like, you know, Kyle Pitts-esque tight ends, you know, more of the new age flex tight ends. And Riddell can do that too, but I think he has more potential to play in line. Like, you know, look at their measurables right now. They're pretty similar in their size, but I think Riddell's frame and just the way he's built, I mean, you look at Thomas, he's just, he just looks thinner. He looks lankier. Riddell's a guy I think can also play in line more effectively than what I think Thomas is going to be able to do at the college level, which is important in our offense. They're both great players. Thomas might end up being the better player, but I think the margins are very, very small there. Riddell isn't just a nasty receiver when it comes like the contested balls, like those 50-50 balls when everybody's all around him, hands everywhere. His ability to come down with those balls, those contested catches is uncanny. And for a tight end, really any receiver, but a tight end, that's a really, really important trait. So I'm really excited to get him on the commit list. And the other guy is is a guy named Colton Heinrich, who I think is a really good football player. Now, he's not on the level of Landon Thomas or Jaden Riddell in terms of his receiving abilities. Now, he's he's a good receiver in his own right. He's just not that caliber. But I really like what he brings to the table in terms of complimenting Riddell as like a true inline guy that has the ability to flex out, but it also can give us that inline blocking, traditional tight end and play that role that, that we need somebody to do, like Darnell Washington was able to do for us last year. So he's not as highly rated as the other two, but I'm very, very high on him. The other guy that actually made my top five most wanted list. I should probably update that list now that we have more information. Are these guys going to go to Georgia? Are they leaning elsewhere? Are they training away? should probably update that. But he was on my list. A guy by the name of Carter Nelson out of Nebraska. We were training with him for a little while there. We were recruiting him as kind of like a tight end slash jumbo wide receiver. But it appears that he's starting to trend towards Nebraska, the home state school. Makes sense. I get it. Again, we're loaded at tight end. We already have two big time guys in this current recruiting class on top of the guys that we already have on campus with Oscar Delp and Lawson Lucky and Pierce Sperlin. We're just loaded, guys. There's no team in the country. Say what you want about a receiver recruiting, but there's no team in the country that can remotely come close to touching our tight end room right now. It's it's just unbelievable. So again, kind of like with Landon Thomas, I get why why Carter Nelson might you know want to stay home. It's his home state school. They got a lot of momentum with a new coach. They're trying to build that momentum. There's a lot of excitement there. I, they're trying to build something. I get that. I get that. So I, I think he's super talented. That's not, not to take anything away from him. Like, he's awesome. I just probably have to remove him from my top five most wanted list because part of the requirements of being on that list is you have to be a guy that we still have a legitimate shot to land. And right now, it doesn't look like that's the case for us. But that's kind of where we are receiver right now. But offensively, we're in really, really good shape at pretty much every position. Like We need to land some guys at, at, at offensive line, especially tackle. But I think we are going to be doing that here within the next couple of weeks and we'll feel a lot better about that position but all in all I love obviously how could you not love 
what we've got the quarterback position. I think it's probably the best quarterback class in the entire country when you consider we've got two top 150 guys, number one quarterback in the country. And then if, if we end up landing Nate Frazier, like I believe that we will, I mean, that will rival anyone for one of the best running back classes in the country. Receiver, we're not going to have one of the best receiver classes in the country, but it could still be a really good receiver class by our standards. Tight end, always one of the best tight end classes in the country. And offensive line is just down across the entire country. But if we can land Calhoun, if we can land Nair Daniels, and maybe even Marquis Easley, and maybe even Uini, that will also be a really strong recruiting class at that position. All right, guys, let's flip things over to the defensive side of the ball here. And I want to start at inside linebackers. There's a lot of moving parts right now at linebacker, okay? I think that we're going to probably end up taking two inside linebackers. Right now, we only have one committed, and he's a big one. It's a guy by the name of Demarcus Riddick. He is an Alabama kid out of Clinton, Alabama. He's a five-star prospect, number 29 nationally, 6'2", 212 pounds. You watch a guy on tape, and he's legit. Like He's the real deal. He's a five-star guy. But we are in an absolute dogfight right now to keep him on our commit list because the in-state schools are coming, and they are coming hard. Both Alabama and Auburn are making pushes right now to get him to flip from Georgia. And there's some optimism inside Bud Smear that we're going to be able to keep him, but there's also a clear awareness that it's not a guarantee that we're going to have to keep fighting and fending these teams off. And there's no guarantee that he's going to end up on this commit list. So we are operating with that understanding and we are actively recruiting a number of different inside linebackers. Obviously we all know the big fish that got away. Sammy Brown out of Jefferson high school. He's committed to Clemson. He's not going to come to Georgia and that ship has sailed. So we can just put that one out of our minds. It is what it is. He's gone. But one guy that really did take me by surprise was a guy named Joseph Phillips. I even told you guys a couple of weeks ago on this show in the aftermath of Sammy Brown's commitment to Clemson that it's all right, guys, don't freak out that much because we're about to get another really good player in his own right in Joseph Phillips. And that did not turn out to actually be the case. That one was a really weird one because as I told you maybe last week, what went down there was very odd. It's one of those things that you know gives you pause when you come on podcasts like this and make recruiting predictions because things can change and they can change very quickly. And that's exactly what happened with Joseph Phillips within a couple hours after I was I was told after I got the text that he was going to commit to Georgia, he changed his mind and he ends up committing elsewhere. He ends up going to Auburn. He's he was a, another Alabama kid. Grew up, grows up about 50 miles from Auburn's campus, so it makes sense, but that one's one that just turned on an instant there. So we, we've had a couple misses, a couple high-profile misses at inside linebacker, and I know that as everyone all up in arms and kind of freaking out, like, oh my God, is Kirby losing a step here? What's happening? Why aren't we getting these guys? It's okay. It's okay, guys. Trust in Kirby. Trust in Kirby. Because right now, we are making a very strong push for the number one inside linebacker in the country, a guy by the name of Justin Williams. He's out of Texas. He's number 12 overall nationally, five-star guy. He was just here in Athens for his, his official visit over the weekend, and things could not have gone better based off what, I have, what I've been told. So even if we do happen to lose Riddick, who is awesome, who's great, I'm not going to take anything away from him. He's the number two linebacker, inside linebacker in the country. But if we lose him... What better way is it to replace him than with the number one linebacker in the country? And I'm not going to say it's a done deal, but we are making a very, very, very strong push right now for the number one linebacker in the country. And the other guy to watch here, there's two two other guys to watch here at Inside Linebacker. There's one guy by the name of Christopher Jones, who is a really high-rated four-star prospect 
uh, out of Virginia, 6'3", 231. He's really well physically developed right now, really well put together. He has some pass rush ability off the edge. He is a guy that will absolutely bring the wood and strike. He was a very physical inside linebacker. He can also move really well. I mean, he is what you want at inside linebacker in the SEC. He did not take an official visit this past weekend anywhere, but the last official visit he took was two weekends ago, the 16th, the weekend of the 16th, and that was here to the University of Georgia. So we're trending with him right now. I feel really good about our chance in landing him. He's another guy that I think might be a part of that big July when it comes to Georgia recruiting. So just watch out for him. The other guy, there's another guy to watch out here for uh, a guy by the name of Chris Cole. I'm also really high on him. I think, I think that I like Christopher Jones a little bit better right now. I can kind of go back and forth on it right now. Jones is more physically developed like SEC ready right now. Cole is a little bit more of a project. He's got to continue to get bigger and fill out his frame. He's 6'3", 205. But his long-term ceiling with his athleticism, it's off the freaking charts. So I would love to take him as well. I don't know if we'll get him. There doesn't seem to be as strong of a feeling from the people that I know in and around the program about him right now as compared to Jones. But he's certainly, we're certainly still in the picture for him. And if we end up getting him, I mean, like he might not be ready year one. But I think give him a couple years... He's, he's a guy I told you guys about last week. He reminds me a lot of Quay Walker when Quay came out of high school at Chris County. Just very similar physical profiles. Neither guy is really, was really ready to come out of high school, but give him a couple years and they turn into big time players, like first round type guys. So I would love to take him. I just don't know right now where we sit with him. We're in it. I just don't know how in it we are. But however this inside linebacker class ends up shaping out, I think it's going to be a really, really good class that we're all going to be very, very excited with. Whether we keep Riddick, whether we lose him and replace him with Williams, I think we're going to be fine at that position. It's really hard, guys. It's been a really hard sell at inside linebacker this year coming off the inside linebacker group that we got last year, which was an all-time group. Like That was one of the best inside linebacking trios that I have seen from any school in recent memory. So it's just a really hard sell. There's a lot of negative recruiting we're having to overcome, but we seem to be doing a hell of a job, man, as of right now. Um, All right, let's move along here. Let's go to the outside linebackers, the edge rushers here. So the guy that we've got committed right now, uh, Quintavious Johnson, he committed last week, one of our most recent commitments. And he's a player that, I think can grow into a good player for us on the edge. 6'5", 255 pounds. He could potentially play five tech demons. I think he's more of an edge rusher. I think that's kind of where we see him. He goes to Mays High School in Atlanta. He's an active player. I like his athleticism. That's why I think he has the potential to play on the edge as a jack stand-up linebacker. I think he could also play with his hand in the dirt as a five tech. It kind of just depends on how his body develops over the next year or two once he gets close to getting to college. But he's a guy that that I think is going to be a really good player for us. I'm glad he's on our commit list. But the name that we really have to watch here and talk about burying the lead is a guy by the name of Williams Waneri. And that's another name that I'm probably butchering. I don't know. Never heard anyone actually pronounce it out loud. But it's something like that. N-W-A-N-E-R-I. Some smarter people out there can correct me again for being an idiot. But Williams, we're going to go with Williams Waneri right now. But regardless, he is a freak of nature. He's the number two overall prospect in the country that honestly, I knew that we'd been recruiting for a while. I did not include him in my original top five most wanted list because at that time when I record that episode a couple of weeks about like three or so weeks ago, I didn't feel as strongly about our chances to land him. In fact, I didn't really think we had much of a chance at all because we were not trending at that point. In fact, we weren't really mentioned that probably the people that I knew around the program didn't like have any strong feelings about him. So I just didn't include him on that list. Uh, well, things have changed, guys. 
because right now we are trending very heavily for his signature. Right now, based off what I am hearing, people inside Bud Smear and around the program feel like we are at the very least in the top two for him. It's Georgia or it's Oregon. It's Kirby Smart or it's Dan Lanning. It's one of the two right now. He's out of Missouri. He's a Missouri kid. He made his official visit to Athens back on June 2nd, so we were his first official visit. He made his most recent official visit to Missouri on June 23rd, so the weekend, June 23rd, this past weekend. But here's the thing, guys, about the Missouri visit. He moved that visit up a day so that he could then leave that visit and come to Georgia and make an extra unofficial visit to Georgia on his own dime. Now, caveat here is that he does have family in Georgia, which also bodes well for us. So he was going to go visit the family in Georgia, and then he was then going to come to, to Athens, which is exactly what he did. He got to Athens late Saturday night, was here on Sunday, met extensively with the coaches, with Kirby Smart and the staff. And that, my friends, speaks volumes about where we are with Williams Nwari right now, where we are in his commitment. I think we lead. I don't know that for sure. That's me reading between the lines. No one's told me that we lead. I have been told that we are right there at the top in the top two. And it's it's a Georgia-Oregon battle. I feel like we lead. Yeah, that that visit, him coming to Athens, moving his Missouri visit up an extra day, moving up a day earlier so we can get to Athens is too much for me to ignore. I tell you guys all the time when I talk about recruiting, follow the visits. If you follow the visits here, it leads you to believe that we lead Fort Nuary right now. And that's that's kind of where I am. I can't tell you for sure we're going to land him. Things change. But right now, I feel really, really good about him. And if we get him in, like, whoo! I mean, he's a first-round pick, guys. Like, he's a first-round NFL draft pick. Like, he is. Like, he's that good. He's explosive. He's long. He's athletic. He's powerful. He's polished at this stage in his career. I mean, he is legit. He is the real deal. He's an instant impact, insert day one type prospect on the defensive line. Now, he could play five tech for us. We are trying to sell him on edge, playing outside linebacker, which I think he absolutely has the athleticism to play. I think that's really how we're gaining traction with him because we're selling him on the ability to do that, racking up those sacks, right? It's how you make that money in the NFL. So I feel good. I feel good right now about where we are. It's not a done deal, but I I feel as good as you possibly could at this point. Another guy to watch that I'm really, really high on, I mentioned him. He was in my top five initially. Jordan Ross out of Birmingham, Vestavia Hills. Uh, He's a top 100 guy. He's a five-star prospecting on what service you look at, but he's a guy that's got really, really good athleticism. I think his best football is ahead of him right now, which is saying something when you think about how good he is on tape right now. But, you know, the in-state schools are certainly still recruiting him heavily, but he continues to say that we are among his top schools. And so we've got a shot going into July. I don't know if he's going to be a guy. I don't think. I've not heard anyone tell me that he is going to be uh, a guy that's going to commit in July. I haven't gotten that information from anyone. But, um, hey, things happen. But he's a guy that we're going to continue to recruit, and I think we are in a really good, solid position for him leading into the 2023 football season. All right, let's keep this thing rolling and let's move on to the defensive line. And let's start with the five tech defensive end position. We have a guy committed that I think is actually a really underrated player. I mean, he's a four-star guy, so it's not like he's completely off the radar, but I really, really like Justin Green out of Mountain View High School in Gwinnett County. So it's one of the few Gwinnett County prospects that we do land. No one's talk about that. Hey, we got at least one. We got one guy. Got one guy from Northern Gwinnett County, barely Gwinnett County, but Gwinnett County nonetheless. Mountain View High School. And he's a guy that I watch play, and I am just so impressed by the motor that he consistently plays with. 
it reminds me a lot of David Pollock. You know, I mean, I'm not saying he's David Pollock. He's not. But remember how Pollock used to just play with that insane motor intensity, never stopped 100 miles an hour all the time, balls to the walls 100% of the time? That was David Pollock. And I see a lot of that in Justin Green. He just plays hard, man. And he's also really, really talented. I like his quickness. I like his the technique he plays with at this stage in his career. You usually don't see a lot of even linemen be as polished as I think he is right now, using his hands, controlling blockers. Does a really, really good job. He's 6'4", 260 pounds. He is a true, prototypical, five-tech defensive end force. That's what he is. Now, is he going to be Trevon Walker force? No. Is he going to be a guy like Michael Williams? I don't think he's that level athlete, but I think he's a really good player. I'm really excited to have him on the commit list. The other guy to watch really closely that position is a guy by the name of Joseph Jonah Agenier. Yet another guy that I'm sure I'm butchering his name. They aren't making it easy for me this year, guys. I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best, but they're not making it easy on your boy. But we'll call him JJA. Does that work for you guys? I don't want to embarrass myself any more than I already have trying to pronounce these names. So JJA. He is a guy out of Texas who's currently listed at 6'4", 255 pounds. He is the number 40 overall prospect nationally. So he's a big-time prospect, guys. Like He's a fringe five-star guy. And before it's all said and done, hell, he might be a five-star for whatever that's worth. But he might be the most interesting, fascinating prospect in this entire class, like in terms of at least the guys that we are recruiting. Because if you look at his measurables, at least how they are listed on these major recruiting services, he's listed at 6'4", 255. That is the physical profile of either A, a five-tech demons of end, or B, a really athletic edge player. Like one of those guys that's just big and athletic that can play on the edge. He has that kind of physical profile. What he does not have right now, based on at least the measurements that you see on these sites, is the physical profile of a three-tech defensive tackle. But from my understanding, what I'm being told is that that is what we are currently recruiting him as. We are recruiting him as a three-tech interior defensive lineman. And he does do a little bit of that on tape at the high school level, but he primarily plays defensive end. That's what he does vast majority of his snaps in high school. That, that's really what this guy does. But our coaches see something different. They are projecting forward into what he can be. And here's the other part that makes him so interesting. It's not just the positional versatility there, like where will he ultimately end up playing. It's the fact this guy did not start playing football until his freshman year of high school. He has played football for three years three years, guys. And that's not like unprecedented. You find these guys every now and then. They don't start playing football until until their freshman year of high school or sophomore year of high school. And then look at them now. Like You hear all those like cool stories, those tearjerker stories on ESPN on game day. Well, he could be one of those guys. But here's the thing. Most of those guys aren't big time high school prospects because they're so unpolished. They're really, really raw, super physically gifted, but raw. Not the case with JJA. This guy is a top 40 prospect nationally, and he's only played the position for three years. Only played football for three years. And when you watch him on tape, you see why he's ranked so highly. Because this guy is just oozing, oozing with raw ability. He has insane length. His wingspan's over 80 inches. He has insane range. He's extraordinarily athletic. His explosiveness on the defensive line is off the freaking charts. He has absolutely everything that you could want from a physical standpoint. The, the issue for him is going to be continuing to, to develop as a football player. Because, again, he's only played 
football for three years. I have all the confidence in the world and our staff, to, if we ultimately end up do landing him, to get him to the point where he can be a first-round draft because he has that kind of physical ability, that kind of raw talent. But he is an extraordinarily intriguing prospect. But here's what I'll say about him before we move on. So I'm calling him JJA because I'm an idiot and I can't pronounce his name. Well, um, I better figure out how to pronounce his name pretty quickly because something tells me he's going to be on our commit list sooner rather than later. Just put that in your back pocket. But let's get back to our current commits. Let's go back to the three-tech position, the Jalen Carter position, if you will. We have a guy by the name of Jordan Thomas from Don Bosco Prep, which is a really, really big-time high school program up there in New Jersey. And he is a 6'5", 300-pound interior defensive lineman. He's number 104 Nash in the 247 composite. I love this guy. I absolutely love him. Now, is he Jalen Carter? No, probably not. He's probably not that level guy, but he is a really, really good player in his own right. He's got really good strength. He plays with really good pad level, a really good athlete at that size, at that position, has some explosiveness from that position as well. Really like what I've seen from him. I think he's going to be a big-time player for us at the three-tech defensive tackle position, so I'm really excited to have him on the commit list. And then our most recent commitment is a pure 100% nose tackle, a zero-tech nose in the vein of Jordan Davis. And here we go, guys. Yet another one that... I cannot pronounce right now. I'll give my best shot. I got to figure this one out. I got to actually get this one right because he is on our commit list. Namdi Ogboko? I think I got that one right. Namdi Ogboko. We're going to go with that right now. Please excuse my ignorance, guys. I apologize profusely. That's that's bad. I'm just doing the best I can here. I'm just, I'm just a man. Just doing the best I can. But Ogboko is a guy that is a massive human being. Now, he's only a three-star guy. I know a lot of people look at that and say, oh my God, like, why are we taking these three-star guys? Have we not learned our lesson at this point, guys? When Kirby Smart takes a three-star prospect, he knows some that know that other people don't know. He sees some that other people do not see because we are hitting on these guys at a far higher rate than anyone else in the country. He's a 6'4", 350-pound nose guard. That's what this guy is. And I don't freaking care if he's a three-star prospect because you know who else was a three-star prospect back in the day? Oh, yeah, that's right. Jordan Davis. What happened with him? Oh yeah, that's right. He was the key to our defense. And oh yeah, that's right. He became a first round draft pick for the Philadelphia Eagles. So I do not care one bit that he's a three-star guy. Do not get caught up in that, guys. Watch tape. Think about what our defense needs, how he fits in our defense, and he's a perfect fit. He is the guy that we need. We need a body like that at that position. So I'm very excited to get him. He committed over the weekend. He was here in Athens. So big time get there because we have got to get bodies like that. Because one of the things we said last year coming into last season, now Nas Stackhouse did a great job for us filling in for Jordan Davis, but he wasn't Jordan Davis. The fact is we did not have a body type like that on our roster. We've got to go out and recruit those guys. Now, Jamal Jarrett that we got in last year's cycle could potentially be that kind of guy, but Agboko is 100% that type of body. Now, will he grow in and develop into the type of physically dominant player that Jordan Davis was? I cannot sit here and tell you that with a straight face. I don't know. Is he made the same way that Jordan Davis is? Is he built the same way? Does he work the same way? I don't know those things. But in terms of the body and the size, he's the closest thing that we've had on our roster, or at least he will be once he gets here to Athens, since Jordan Davis at that zero-tech nose position. So that is a big-time get for us. But to wrap things up here on the defensive line, I think we've got spots for maybe if we get if we add JJA, if we add him, I think we're probably gonna take one more defensive lineman, maybe two if it's the right two. 
The guy that I want more than any other prospect in the entire country, as a matter of fact, he's number one of my top five most wanted prospects a couple weeks ago, and he's still there right now because I still think we have a legitimate shot to get him, is a dude by the name of Justin Scott, a five-star defensive tackle. And guys, I'm just telling you, like he is the real deal on the interior of the defensive line. He's a three, he's a three-tech guy like Jalen Carter. Now, I told you earlier, I, I don't know if... Jordan Thomas is like Jalen Carter caliber, but Justin Scott, oh, he is. Like, he is that guy. 6'4", 310, that's the way he's listed at. He's number 14 overall nationally, number three defensive tackle in the country. He reminds me a lot of Jordan Hall in last year's class. So physically dominant player with extraordinary athleticism in that frame to go along with his strength. It's just the size, strength, explosiveness combination that is very, very, very rare. And it's the type of, he's the type of player that separates like the SEC from other conferences in the country. Like he's the type of player that separates a national title contending team and the team that actually wins it. Like he's that kind of player. So I'm extremely high on him. I don't have anything hard on him right now in terms of like where we stand. All I can tell you is that I continue to hear that we are in it, that we are right there in the thick of things. I have not been told that we lead or anything like that. He's a guy that's probably going to go much further into the cycle, maybe even to the early signing period, like in December. I don't anticipate him being a guy that's going to commit at any point here in July. I don't think so. Things can obviously change, as I always say, but I'm not expecting that from him right now. But we're in it, and man, do I want that guy, because that's been one of the keys to our entire defensive dominance over the past couple of years, is just having truly elite players on the defensive line. And he fits that bill. All right, guys, let's go ahead and move things over to the defensive backfield and close out this ultimate summer Georgia recruiting update. Let's go with corner first. We might be done at corner right now. We've got two guys committed, two studs, by the way. We could potentially take a third if it's the right guy, a guy that we feel really strongly about, but I don't think we have to take a third corner right now. But the two we've got committed, obviously, we've got Ellis Robinson, the number one cornerback in the country, top five player overall, number four nationally, an IMG Academy prospect, and this dude is legit. He is the real deal. His tape jumps out at you, the athleticism, the fluidity, the ball skills, the ability to change direction, to flip his hips, all the things that you want to see out of an elite cornerback, you see on tape. But then you look at the Elite 11 camp and how he performed there, and he was lights out. So Jeremiah Smith, as we mentioned earlier, the number one receiver in the country. When things got to the seven-on-seven portion of the camp, Ellis Robinson was matched up with Jeremiah Smith. You had the number one corner versus the number one wide receiver. A premier matchup that had a lot of eyes on it. And Ellis Robinson dominated Jeremiah Smith. He held him to only a handful of catches. And guys, seven-on-seven, if you're not familiar with that, I think you are. But if you're not, there's no pass rush it's literally quarterbacks, receivers, running backs as well, because they go out and they run pass patterns as well, and then linebackers and DBs. It's truly mono e mono. It's like man-to-man coverage, am I better than you? That's what it comes down to. And far more often than not, Ellis Robinson, the number one cornerback, was better than Jeremiah Smith, the number one wide receiver. He's another guy that has instant impact plug-and-play ability. Now, 
Whether that opportunity is there for him, that remains to be seen because we already have a ton of really highly talented cornerback prospects on campus right now. Obviously, Kamari Laster will almost certainly be moving on after next year, so that position will be open, but we have a ton of guys on campus right now. We'll see who sticks around, who transfers after this year. We'll see all those things, but he'll certainly have an opportunity to be in the mix for that position. He is that good. Then we have DeMello Jones, who's a high four-star prospect. I feel like was under-recruited for a while. Like We were one of his first big offers. And he's out of Swainsboro here in Georgia. And this guy is is a fantastic athlete. All the things that Ellis Robinson does well, you see that out of DeMello Jones. He goes by Mello, Mello Jones as well. Maybe just not quite to the level that you see it from Ellis Robinson. But Mello has moved into the top 100 now in the 247 composite. He's number 91 overall nationally. He's ranked as the sixth cornerback in the country. He's a big-time prospect in the same vein as Ellis Robinson, but obviously you got to give Ellis Robinson a little bit of an edge there right now, at least coming into college. Now, we'll see what happens once the guys get here, but right now I would I would give Robinson the edge, but Mello is no slouch himself. He's a really big-time player. So if we stopped right there and don't take any more corners, I feel really comfortable with that corner class. Again, there's a, there's a potential that we could take another corner if it's the right guy. Maybe we take a guy who brings a little positional versatility to the table, but I feel really good about the two guys that we have on our commit list right now. And then at safety, man, we are all also loaded there right now as things stand we have Peyton Woodyard and Jalen Hayward currently on the commit list different recruiting services have these guys rated differently but according to 247 composite which takes into account all the different recruiting services and how they have these guys ranked Hayward is slightly ranked ahead of Woodyard he's number 59 overall national in the 247 composite and Woodyard is number 75 national now these guys are both big time prospects Woodyard's from St. John Bosco a big time high school out in California Hayward's out of Florida they are both really rangy highly athletic safeties that flash really good ball skills and also show the ability to fill the lane against the run. They are not afraid to stick their nose in there against the run and to play safety at Georgia. That has to be one of your qualities. So love those guys, but we are almost certainly not done at safety. The big name is KJ Bolden out of Buford High School. We've talked about this guy ad nauseum almost every episode over the past couple of weeks. You know this guy, top 10 player nationally, five-star prospect, He has visited Athens like 15 times that we know of, at least. He's a big-time athlete. He has the ability to play offense or defense. We've essentially kind of given him the option, hey, do whatever you want to play, we'll let you play. I love him on offense, but he wants to play defensive back because he thinks that's where his future is long-term, and obviously our coaches are more than open to allow allow him to do that, whatever he wants, really, at this point. But I I love this guy on the offensive side of the ball. Reminds me somewhat of of Miko. I think I mentioned this before, but in case I haven't, in case you didn't hear it, you know, Miko... We knew all, I knew all along this guy is an offensive player. Like, that dude is too dangerous, the ball in his hands. He's too explosive to not be on offense. Now, a lot like KJ Bolden, he thought his long term future, at least he was sold in the idea, his long term future is on the defensive side of the ball. So, what does he do at Georgia? He starts out on defense. How'd that work out? Not great. Within a couple, within a year or so, he's on the offensive side of the ball, and that's how he gets drafted into the NFL. I don't know if that's how things will transpire with KJ Bolden. But he absolutely has the ability to be a big-time playmaker on offense. Absolutely no doubt in my mind. But what makes me feel confident and comfortable he can also play defense if that's what he wants to do, which does seem to be the case, is this dude is not afraid to hit. He is absolutely not. He's undersized. Like He's not a big guy back there. And he, he does translate. He does translate more as a safety prospect than anything else. I guess he could potentially play a little bit of star, maybe. But he's 6'2", about 180, 185 pounds. 
but he will hit you. Make no mistake about that. He is a more than willing tackler, and he's very, very good at it as well. He is obviously a player that we have been watching very, very closely for several months now. We have long been thought to be in the driver's seat, and based off what I am hearing, that is still the case, but Ohio State is pushing us. He made a visit to Ohio State a couple weekends ago, and they did everything they possibly could to put their best foot forward, and they certainly made an impression on him, but we have been the constant here, and we have got to still be considered the favorite. It's not a done deal. In no way is this a done deal, but I do feel really good about where we are right now. We have been the constant throughout his entire recruitment. He was at Alabama this past weekend. You can never count Alabama Nick Saban now. Absolutely cannot count them out, but I would not even have them number two right now. It does sound like Ohio State has given him something to think about, but again, I come back to it. We've been the one that's been in this recruitment from the get-go. We have been the constant. We have been. We are the school that he has visited 15 plus times. And you know what? It also doesn't hurt that Dylan Riola is transferring to Buford, will be his teammate, will be throwing him footballs all summer and all fall. That probably won't be the decisive factor, but it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt to have the number one quarterback in the country in your ear for five, six, seven months. So if I had to handicap it right now, again, I know you guys like to ask for percentages. I would say KJ Bolden's probably 65, 70% Georgia right now would be my prediction. I would say Georgia with a 70% confidence rate. Let's go with that. I mean, I guess that's my own version of crystal ball. Take that for what it's worth. Again, as I always say, caveat always when it comes to recruiting, things can change. Okay, guys. Well, that was a long recruiting update. I tried to make that as comprehensive for you guys as I possibly could, whether you follow recruiting closely, whether you follow it kind of on the fringes, or maybe you don't follow it all, and you kind of just catch up on things when you get a chance. Hopefully that got you caught up. Hopefully that gives you an idea of where we are right now with who we've got committed and who those big-time prospects are that we're still out there trying to add to the commit list and where we stand with those guys. But for the last few minutes of the show here today, I do want to go back to our greatest what-ifs in the history of Georgia football, as promised. I have a lot more. I'm not going to have time to get through all of them today. That recruiting update went a little bit longer, actually quite a bit longer than I thought it would. So I don't have as much time to run through all of these what-ifs that I, as I thought I would have, but we got time to run through at least a couple of them here. And let's start here, guys. I want to go back to 2007. Now, I know what a lot of you would say, like the what-if you would take away from the 2007 season, and I know this because a lot of you did mention this, is what if we didn't get blown out by Tennessee and Knoxville? Because that's ultimately, I guess, what what knocked us out of the SEC Championship game, right? If we don't lose that game, we lost two games in the regular season. If we don't lose one of those games, then we make the SEC Championship game, and we probably beat LSU, in my opinion. I think we were the, I think we were certainly the best team in the country by the end of the season. Maybe not the entire season, but by the end of the season, I do firmly believe that we were the best team in the country. Just ask June Jones in Hawaii. So I know a lot of you would point at the Tennessee game because Tennessee is ultimately the team that went on to represent the SEC East in the SEC Championship game against LSU. They lost that game. LSU goes on to the National Championship game, which they ultimately won. So I get that. I get where you're coming from there, but here is where I go to in 2007. This is what I go back to. I don't look at the Tennessee loss and say, man, like what if we hadn't lost that game? Because it wasn't even remotely close. Like to me, what ifs are like things that are really close. Like they're just, it's on the margins there. But we got absolutely blown out 
by Tennessee in Knoxville in 2007. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't a game. It was 35, 14. I think it was the final score of that game. Like it, it just like we was an, it was a no show game. Like we just didn't show up that game. We weren't the team that we were at the end of the season. So to me, like that's not the point I look at. What I look at is I go to the Tennessee Kentucky game late in the season. That's the game that I look at and say, what if, man? I vividly remember, guys, I was sitting in my house, actually in my bedroom watching this game. I was pacing. I was going from back and forth from the bedroom to the living room, just looking at different TVs as I couldn't sit still because that game was going to determine whether or not we made it to the SEC championship game. If Tennessee would have lost to Kentucky, we would have made it to Atlanta. We would have played LSU in the SEC title game, and I do believe that we would have beaten them and found our way in the BCS national title game, even though we had two losses. Now, I, I still go back, and I remember, guys, like, it drives me insane. I still remember to this day, Kirk Herbstreet and guys like that railing against Georgia, saying there is no way that Georgia should be allowed to play in the BCS national title game if they didn't even play in their own conference title game, they didn't even win their own division. I'm old enough to remember that, and... I'll be honest with you guys, I can hold a grudge. I still, to this day, hold a grudge against Kirk Herbstreit for that. I know he wasn't the only one saying those things, but obviously with his platform, he was the most vocal and the most influential. I'm not saying I hate the guy. I don't hate the guy. I think he does a solid job, but I will never forget that. Never, ever, ever will I forget how he talked about Georgia at the end of that season. And then fast forward a couple of years to when Alabama's in that situation, when Ohio State's in that situation, and how he advocated for those teams. The hypocrisy is just staggering, just utterly shameless. But anyway, back to Kentucky, Tennessee. It was late November 2007. Tennessee was 5-2 in the conference. We also had two losses in the conference. However, Tennessee, by virtue of the tiebreaker, they had the edge over us. They beat us head-to-head. So if they beat Kentucky, they clinch the East, they go to Atlanta. If they lose, we go to Atlanta. And holy hell, what a game that was. I will never forget that, man. Just pacing back and forth from TV to TV, from room to room. It was a wild game. Kentucky wasn't even really good that year. Remember Andre Woodson, guys? Like He was the quarterback. That was when he was at Kentucky. He was the quarterback in that game. And it goes to four overtimes. I'll make the long story short here. Kentucky makes a wild comeback. They were down 24-7 at halftime. I had about given up, but they come back, man. They, uh, they outscored Tennessee 14-7 in the third, outscored them 10-0 in the fourth, send the game into overtime. It goes to four overtimes, only for Kentucky to stop Andre Woodson short on the mandated two-point conversion, the fourth overtime, to hold on, win the game, win the SEC East by a score of 52-50 over Kentucky. I'll never forget it, man. I'll never forget it. I thought we had it, dude. I really, I really, truly did. I thought we had it, but man, no, it was not to be. So I look back at that game and I say, what if, man, what if Kentucky had pulled off that upset and sent us to Atlanta with a shot to beat LSU and put ourselves in the BCS national title game? I think that would, it was, I think if we would have played LSU in Atlanta in the SEC title game that year, I think it would have been a lot like Georgia, Ohio State in the Peach Bowl this past year. That would have been the national championship game. Those are the two best teams. Now, Ohio State was good that year. They were. They, they were a deserving team. But I think at the end of the year, it was Georgia and LSU. Those are the two best teams. And whoever won that game, I think was going to beat Ohio State and win the national championship. So I say, what if? 
And man, it it was so heartbreaking. I don't know if you guys remember this game. I really don't. I but this game is a game I would never ever forget. It's one of those random games. Actually, it's not random to me. It was a very impactful game. But I'll never forget this game. I mean, guys, both teams score touchdowns in the first overtime. They t- it's 38-38 going in the second overtime. Tennessee has the ball to open the second overtime. They promptly, Eric Ainge, remember that guy? Yeah, Eric Ainge. Eric Ainge obviously, you guys remember him because if you think back to last year, he was the one talking a bunch of trash about how Tennessee was going to drop like 50 on us in Athens, that we had no chance to stop that offense. Now, you guys know Eric Ainge, right? Well, he was a quarterback back then. And on the second down play, he throws an interception. He throws an interception. So what, what does Kentucky have to do? They have to kick a field goal. They get the ball to the 25-yard line. All they got to do is kick a field goal. They get the ball down to like the Tennessee 15, 16, something like that. Um, and it was like four, fourth and short, but they just like the field goal and blocked. Blocked. Like 34, 35-yard field goal blocked. What if, man? What if that field goal wasn't blocked? I think, I really do. I think we win the national championship. Now, you know, with two losses, could they still find a way to keep us out? Yeah, maybe possibly. But with the, the momentum that we had going into the end of the season, if we would have beaten LSU, I think we would have gotten in. I really do. And I think we would have beaten Ohio State. So that's a huge what if for me back in 2007. Because what if, what if Mark Rick wins that national championship? Does that give him a little bit more breathing room? Does that give him more leash? Does he get fired in 2015 when he's got that national entitlements resume? Hell, do we even get to the point in 2015 where we kind of stagnated? Does he parlay that 2000, that potential 2007 national championship into better recruiting classes, into another national title here and there? Like, you never know these things. Does that allow us to establish a dynasty? Like, is there ever an Alabama? Because, you know, Saban gets to, gets to Alabama in 2007. That's when he takes that job, right? Is there ever going to be the Alabama that we know, they ever grow into that if Georgia wins the national championship in 2007? Or do we maybe start that dynasty? And do we think of Mark Rick and Nick Saban very, very differently? I don't know. Maybe not. But I think it's worth the conversation. It's one of those what ifs. And that's the beauty of these what ifs, guys. There's no answer. It's just kind of fun and also maddening to wonder what if. And that's certainly one of those for me. And all right, guys, I got time for one more here. I'm sorry, guys. I, I wish I could go through all these that I have. We'll We'll push, we'll push the rest of them off to another day. We'll do a, we'll do a volume three of this, okay, if you guys want us to. So uh, let's go back to 2010. I know a lot of you remember this because a lot of you had to eat some crow over this. So 2010, finally, Mark Rick fires Willie Martinez, right? So it's time to find a new defensive coordinator. Yes, Mark waited too long to make that move. Loyal to a fault, I guess, but he ultimately makes the move. And so January 2010, we are looking for a new defensive coordinator. And I am sure most of you remember this. Who was number one on a lot of people's list? Oh, yeah. That's one Kirby Paul Smart. We put that phone call in for him to come home. And there was a lot of belief that he was indeed going to make that move. In fact, according to a lot of sources, Kirby had signed, allegedly signed, some sort of memo of understanding that he was going to take the job. He didn't sign the contract, hadn't officially dotted the I's and crossed the T's, but had committed to taking the job. But Saban sat down with him one last time and was able to convince Kirby to spurn his alma mater and that defensive coordinator offer to stay in Tuscaloosa, to 
resist the lateral move, which is that's very much a Sabanism. Hey, I don't care if you move on. I want our, our assistant coaches to, to move on, take promotions, take bigger jobs, but I don't want them to leave us for lateral jobs. And that's exactly kind of what happened there. He didn't want Kirby to leave for a lateral position. He convinced Kirby that, hey, man, if you just wait for a couple of years, you might have a chance to have that job as the head man. Mark Rick, the Georgia program, aren't looking great right now, which in 2009, 2010, that's true. We weren't really looking great. So stay with me for a couple more years, Kirby. That job might might open up, and you can have the job you really want at Georgia. And obviously, ultimately, Saban was right. He was. Like, love him or hate him, he was right about that. Now, a lot of Georgia fans were pissed off. Now, I can't sit here and tell you that I wasn't frustrated to some degree, but I was not one of the guys that was calling for Kirby's head saying, dear God, you better never even think about coming here. You are dead to me. Because that's what a lot of Georgia fans are saying. Like, this dude's dead to me. He's no longer a bulldog. And those are the people that had to eat some crow the past couple years. But I do get the frustration at the time. I do. I mean, I understand because guys, I was frustrated. I was. I just wasn't like going scorched earth over it. But let's think about this. What if, what if Kirby had taken our defense coordinator job back in 2010. Would he have gone down with the ship? Would the stain of what ultimately ended up happening in the latter years of the Mark Richt era, would that have been on him too much to, for him to get consideration for that job? Like, we, we would just cleaned house, right? And that includes Kirby Smart as defense coordinator. Or does Kirby do an incredible job, a much better job than Todd Grantham did, elevate our program in the process, help Mark Rick keep his job, and in doing so, take another big-time job somewhere else. Maybe Mark Rick doesn't get fired in 2015 as Kirby did a great job of elevating that defense and getting the program to the next level. You know, Jeremy Pruitt tried to do that, right? He tried to come in and help modernize our program and bring new ideas, fresh ideas, basically the save in Alabama type ideas, the process to Athens. He just went about it the wrong way. He was very, very abrasive and outright disrespectful about it. Kirby would never have done Mark that way. And maybe Kirby could have handled it more diplomatically and actually gotten some of those changes implemented earlier in our program to the point that maybe Mark doesn't get fired, right? Maybe our program gets rolling in a way that it didn't, ultimately, by the time we got to 2015. But regardless, I think one of two things happens if Kirby takes that job, the defense coordinator job in 2010. I think either A, he just goes down with the ship, doesn't change things enough because our program just wasn't, Rick wasn't running it the way that he needed to run it. And he also didn't have the support from the boosters and the administration the way that Kirby does now. And so it really wouldn't have changed things all that materially. And so Mark would have gotten fired in 2015 and the whole staff, including Kirby, would have gotten fired with him if Kirby didn't leave on his own accord prior to that. So that's option one. Or option two, I think is Kirby does such a great job of the defense, elevates the program. Like I said, parlays that into a big-time head coaching job of his own somewhere other than Athens. Now, would he have come back to Athens at some point if Mark ultimately got fired later on or if he just retired? Obviously, he has the health issues right now. He probably wouldn't be coaching. He probably would have retired a couple of years ago, uh, even if he hadn't got fired in 2015 because of the health issues. Would Kirby have come back to George in that case? Would he have gone after him? I mean, yeah, we would have gone after him. Would he come back? I, I would like to think so. But when would that have happened? And there's no guarantee he would have come back. I really want to believe that he would have because he loves George, obviously. Mary Beth is an alum as well. You know, they have roots here. I want to believe he would have come back, but you don't know. Like, there's no guarantee there. So I know that's not as high profile of a what if as like the the 2012 SEC championship game or anything like that. But to me, that is absolutely a, a very underrated what if in the history, at least the modern history, my lifetime 
of watching Georgia football. But all right, guys, I got to get out of here on that one. We will come back and revisit this uh, either later this week or early next week. We'll definitely have some more what is for you guys. So keep those coming. We've got a couple, I actually had a couple more that were sent my way today, actually. So I love it, man. Keep those coming and we'll, we'll keep covering them here on the podcast. But all right, guys, I'm out of here. I'm Tyler. Thanks for being with me today. I will be back with another episode on Thursday, and we are officially turning the page to previewing the 2023 Georgia football season. So make sure to check that out, guys. You don't want to miss that. Got a lot of great stuff for you guys coming up over the next couple of months. Have a great week, guys. I'll see you in a couple of days. As always, go dogs. <laughs>